Hello, and welcome to Reptile Screenings, episode 68. I'm your host, Em, and with me are my regular host, Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Hey, hey, hey. And I we're here to you talk... you get to pick the movie for, nine, for, you know, 69. Oh, I did... You know what? I've already picked it, and it's not like... I didn't, like, lean in or anything. It's not a nice movie. No. Um... <laughs> Anyway, movies. So we talk about movies here. How, who's got a Who's got a movie? Who's seen a movie? Tell um, me about movies. I guess I've seen a movie. I've I've somehow, despite watching a bunch of stuff nonstop, I have seen one eligible movie <laughs> for this podcast <laughs> discussion. That's fine. That's you know, all I ask is one. You, you, you more is great, but I only need one. Uh, but I watched Cure, the uh, ninety-seven. Um, who is it? Kiyoshi Kurosawa? Is that another guy? I'm trying... I think it's... I don't have this pulled up. Uh, I'm worried I'm getting confused with, like, other... Uh, you know, filmmakers that... Um, I think I've got this right and then, like, fumbled on it, which has been more embarrassing than getting it wrong. Um, this is yes. why I pull up a Wikipedia page for every movie I'm going to talk about before we so start smart. yes this is kiyoshi kurosawa the 1997 movie i was just correct didn't need to fumble there um which is uh so i don't i don't okay i don't watch horror movies uh because i don't like being scared yeah um famously and, uh, i i did an episode of ornate stairwells you can go check that out where i recovered yes. this movie uh and i listened to that episode afterwards. it's a good episode you should listen to it and i watched this and i um I mostly enjoyed it. Uh, it was a little too much for me. Uh, you know, I'm fine. I'm an adult. I'm not like, oh, I couldn't get to sleep at night. But it was a little stressful, <laughs> is what I'll say. Um, I could go again, though. You know, the tolerance is building up, I guess. Uh, I rock- That's cool. I don't, I don't like, love the horror movies, but I will, I'll watch Evil Dead at some point in the next few months. Yeah, I bet you will find that less scary. Yeah, because I assume there'll be more jump scares I'll be annoyed about, because yes. this doesn't really have those. Uh, this just has, like, a creeping dread uh, for mm-hmm. two hours. Um, but when it's not creeping dread, it's mostly just a very, very grumpy cop. Yes. Um, uh, and I uh, I mostly enjoyed it. I didn't like it, like, didn't adore it in the way that many people adore it. I think it's, like, societal metaphor is a little pat. Yeah. Um, in a way that some people are like, this is profound. This is really getting it. Like, we could all be just to be doing murders if a guy told us to. And I'm like, Unfortunately, I don't I've seen about 18 movies of this exact same plot, <laughs> um, including <laughs> terrible anime Gundam Seed, actually. So, um, I was going to no. say, I'm fairly familiar with this plot, despite not even, you know, watching horror movies. That should tell you how uh, uh, generic the idea is. Though I do think the actual like, filmmaking on display is like, mostly incredible. Um, Especially in the early goings, there's one amazing scene on a beach uh, before like plot gets off. I think when it becomes about the him and the detectives battle of philosophies, it gets uh, a little silly. <laughs> uh, but that's also fun in its own way. But I had a, I had a really good time with here. Uh, just came out more stressed than I was anticipating because you apparently aren't bothered by creeping dread. <laughs> I mean, I was like, oh, this is this is like the bleak cop shit that you're gonna love. I didn't really think of it as horror. I'll be honest. Um. That's it's it's definitely a horror movie. Yeah, I think so too. It stays with you. It really gets under your skin. I didn't have this reaction at all. Just it's um, it's scarier than like you know, it's scarier than something like Saw, right? Which is gross and has jump scares. But well, yeah, I'm not gonna. There's like, nothing. Think Saw about. is funny. Saw is a movie about puzzles <laughs> exactly. and people who deserve what they get. Yeah, Saw um, is very silly. Um, yes. 
But yeah, that, that's what I watched. It was, a, it was a good time at the movies. Um, I watched like two weeks, like literally the day after we recorded the last episode. I because I had for, literally forgotten until I was looking at Letterboxd. You have a podcast. We have to talk about things. Please keep a letterbox. I probably wouldn't if not for this podcast, but it does help a lot. Um, I watched two films. I watched Hiroshima Monomore, um, the uh, the Rene movie about. <laughs> Um, I had never seen this movie. I didn't know what it was about. I just knew of it as like one of the famous like French fucking movies, you know. Um, and you had made a stupid tweet about your friends are either the French cinema weirdos <laughs> or the Japanese cinema weirdos, and I stand firm, despite the fact that I actually like both. Uh, just performatively, I am the French cinema weirdo. Um, it doesn't mean you only watch one. <laughs> yes. You know this because yes. some people, everyone going to mention like, oh, I watch both, but there are people who watch both that are like. I know, I know which ones of my friends are Japanese cinema weirdos and which one of my friends are French cinema weirdos. Most of them watch both, but it, it's still a, it's still a sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so I watched this, and it's a movie about an actress, um, a French actress who's in uh, Hiroshima, like doing a film about it being bombed, and a guy who me he's like a businessman or something and he meets with her and he wasn't here for it but his family was and was all killed in the blast and they and uh she has this backstory where like um she fell in love with like an occupying german soldier in france during the war and they were going to run away together but then he got killed because they found out that he was a fucking german soldier or whatever and uh she and then she had like a mental breakdown as her family's like you were sleeping literally sleeping with the enemy um what the fuck and um they like locked her in the basement until she got over her like emotional break and then she ran away um anyway she's doing this as an actress now and they have this relationship where they mostly just kind of like talk about their traumas and the ways they are like incompatible but both make them like incapable of escaping their own pasts um as uh there's a lot of like you know, it starts with like a big like her describing the the atomic bombing and him just every time she says something, you know, like they're in a museum, they're looking at like footage and like, you know, it, it cut, intercuts with photographs of actual victims and like the uh, aftermath every time he's like, you still don't understand because you weren't here. You have to be here to understand. Um, and uh, it's just very it's extremely French about like the ennui of just like, how do you connect with other people? Can you bridge those gaps? Probably not. But people sure do try. Most of you fucking. It's good. I liked it a lot. <laughs> it sounds really good. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the same day I was like, you know, I've never watched an Ozu. I should watch an Ozu. And I was trying to figure out what Ozu to watch. I ended up watching Good Morning, um, which is a 1959 movie, um, which is apparently a remake of one of his early 1932 films called I Was Born, But... Um, but this is about... Um, like a suburb of Tokyo. And by that, I mean, it's like a bunch of like prefab houses in the middle of a field where everyone has to like walk on the raised street, like all the way past all the rice fields to get to where their school is. Um, when anime is like being nostalgic in a way that is obnoxious, it's talking about the reality of a movie like this. <laughs> um, which is a weird framing because I've never watched an Ozu, but like I see all this stuff like prepackaged into its own form of like mid-century nostalgia um, through modern like Japanese works. 
Um, oh, anyway, massively influential. Just like yeah, yeah, yeah. Unthinkable. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just a huge gap for me. Anyway, this mm-hmm. uh, so this is about like this family where um, <laughs> the the two young boys. There's like a brother, the two brothers, and one's like one's like maybe like I don't actually know their age. One, let's say five and like eight or whatever. Like one's like a little kid and one's like slightly older and the one who's clearly responsible. They decide they want a color TV to watch the sumo match because they're they don't have a TV at all. Um, but the neighbor who they watch the sumo matches with, um, their mom doesn't want them going over there because that they think that the mom of the neighbors is like a like a like works at like a cabaret or whatever, and is like, oh, she's like a woman of low standards. You can't go hang out with those kids. And so they want a TV, but their parents are stingy and won't buy them one. So they decide to form a do, do a silent protest to everyone um, until they get this TV. Just won't talk. They, they get in trouble at school. They like they need lunch money, but the parents don't understand their charades. They're trying to tell them they need lunch money. Um, they're just going through it doing the silent protest get television at the same time the family's mostly ignoring this small uh form of protest because they've gotten caught up in a bunch of like rumors because um the mother accused a woman of like stealing the neighborhood like club dues um (laughs) and and, um and then like when the woman goes and pees all over because actually they gave it to like a grandmother who's like forgetful and she just misplaced the money but um she apologizes, whatever, but then the kids won't talk to this neighbor and the neighbor's like, oh, she told her kids that I'm no good and the kids won't talk to me now. And so it becomes a whole neighborhood to do as everyone real like thinks that this, this mother is like super stuck up. But in actuality, she just forgot. She's not realized her kids are doing silent protest. And it's just like this goofy confluence of events uh, that happens for 90 minutes. It's really charming and cute. Uh, that sounds ridiculous. It was really good. I liked it a lot. Um, <laughs> I love that your I'm a French cinema guy um, day was watching Hiroshima Monomo and then an Ozu film. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I, I feel like of all the people I sit astride both. I just watch too much anime to be the Japanese film guy. Because at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm kind of tired of like these movies that all the shows I watch are just lifting ideas from haphazardly. Even um, if the movies are often significantly better. They are They are almost always significantly better. I'm just exhausted by the, the whole, yes. like, t- you know, the flavor of the thing, right? I, I agree. It's just very funny it worked out this way. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the other movie I watched is the one Destiny has for sure. Um, so I will let Destiny talk about it. I watched Original Gangsters. The 1996 yes. Larry Cohen film. Yes. Um, yeah. This is a black exploitation nostalgia piece uh, <laughs> that is so violent in this way that, like, I think it was just me. Um, it was you. You were you were very high. <laughs> uh, <yes. laughs> um, but it was really fun and kind of goofy. Um, just a hell of a cast. Yeah, so the plot of this is it's Gary, Indiana, which is like used to be a steel mill town and now it's kind of fallen into hard times. Everything's closed and there's two big gangs that are like kind of divided up the city. And um, this young kid is like basketball hustling and he hustles the wrong group and this, this gang does a drive by and kills him. And it brings his dad who is gone like his, you know, his, um, his dad who he didn't know into town. And it's it's fucking Jim Brown. And uh, 
famous black exploitation actor and football star uh now old ever all, all of all these black exploitation stars are old because it's 96 um into town uh to talk to his uh baby mama pam greer who never asked for anything because she's a tough woman and didn't need no man back in the day um and um they're hanging around with fred williamson um who is also here. And these three back in the day in like created one of these gangs. And then they all moved away and got legit and whatever grew old. And no one here remembers it anymore that they were the original rebels. Cause it's like the rebels and the uh, bloods, right? The rebels, the bloods, uh, the Diablos. Oh, the, the, yeah, the Diablos. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so it's, it's Brett Williamson, Jim Brown, Pam Greer, and then like hanging around the edges is like Richard Roundtree. Um, like Paul Winfield's here, just a bunch of like old ass uh, black exploitation actors, um, and they decide now that this gang warfare is like starting to kill their kids that they they care and are mad about it, um, and they're gonna do something. Damn it! And this seems like the most like Harry Brown's meets the Expendables fucking thing in the world, but it's '96, so it's not it's not like a send up. But it is goofy no. because it's made by the people who just made, like Larry Cohen just made this, like made black exploitation films. Like, yeah, you know, he made Black Caesar. Like, he's just one of these guys, um, and so it just has the flavor of that. But like twenty years later, um, as the plot is about, like, it's weird because it's like all oh, these old people know what's what. They're the real tough motherfuckers. They're gonna beat, her, right. like, they, beat up. All they these served gangsters. in the war. Yeah, they served. Yeah. <laughs> Fred Williamson <laughs> literally like is like a Vietnam guy doing roundhouse kicks because that's what Fred Williamson's like. Um, but um, it's also like quietly about like the idea. This is not what the plot is about, but like just watching it, it's like this is about this idea that like the cool heroes of like black exploitation and like cultural forces in the time didn't do anything. Like they had the capability to like help. And they didn't. They like they maybe they formed like original ideas of gangs, and they all bounced and went legit and got old and had kids, whatever. And they could have done something because like Pam Greer starts like gets the community together and starts teaching him self defense. Like when the 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 gangsters roll in at the very end for a firefight, literally like dozens of people pour out of the like homes they don't want firebombed and start beating up the gangsters with like bats and stuff. It's um, amazing. And it's like you could you could just done this. Like it's about like the idea that like the thing the thing that is powerful in uh in black communities is coordinated efforts and and like basically making the black panthers you got to make the black panthers you can't just be cool you have to make the black panthers <laughs> um and it just kind of walks into that not it's not about that but it was, it was really neat to see this like this movie that normally would pivot into this very conservative like nostalgia like oh our, our parents had it like the people who are the parents are making this but like our parents had it but we don't have it we're just a bunch of shit heels um and it being actually about like, no, the thing you should have done 30 years ago is organize and we wouldn't even have this fucking problem. Well, yeah, from um, your initial description, I was like, this is going to be about how the respectable old blank gangsters are killing all the young 90s gangsters. It is that. It is also that. It is that. <laughs> yeah, that happens. Oh, they, they get lots of lots of guns. <laughs> okay. And, and shoot a lot of but, young people. But it people. also walks in this murky thing where it's like, this is a failure of like... And it doesn't connect the dots where like this failure is because all the actual Black Panthers were killed or put in jail, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> that whole that whole right. generation got erased like, by the government. Um, yeah. But like the white state like just destroyed it. Just destroyed yes. any mechanism yeah. for this to oh, exist. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's the gangs have the cops in their pocket in this movie, yeah. the mayor. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is ridiculous. Um, 
And so it's like, it's really corny, but like it comes by it really earnestly. Cause you, I, there's a version of this that comes like five years later that's just black dynamite. Right. And that, that's like fine, but it's not as interesting as a movie. That's like basically playing it straight and just doing a thing. Um, and I really liked it. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. I really liked it too. Um, I can't get over the scene where Pam Greer just destroys the guy that like one of the gangster kids, the just one that shot her, her, her son. He's yeah, was like, I'm going to kill your boy. What are you going to do about it? And then he shoots her in the leg and then she just beats the fuck out of him. <laughs> yes. And then just makes a joke about women's intuition because it's yes. the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, Robert Forrester's in this as a cop, uh, like yes. the year before Jackie Brown. <laughs> just literally looking like fucking Max Cherry hanging out. It's real yes. goofy. That's Max Cherry in a suit for sure. I'm like, did these two meet on this? Is this why, like, Robert Forster's in Jackie Brown? Is Pam Greer like, I know a good guy who needs a job. (laughs) (laughs) It almost feels that way. I Mm -hmm. hope that's what happened. We'll never know. But, yeah. Um, Great Because they don't interact in this movie at all. They just are in there. Yeah. It's also got Isabel Sanford, who was on the Jeffersons. And just... A lot of on-the-nose hip-hop needle drops. It's got some hip-hop artist cameos in it. There's, like, Bushwick Bills in it. And there's one other guy. And it's just, it's the most 90s thing. The fashion on display. Oh, that's more of a topic for my other podcast. But the fashion on display was a lot. (laughs) It's, like, it's, like, crappy in the way that, like, people who just live in fucking uh, Gary, Indiana, who are trying to be cool, would wear. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it just all feels like, yeah, these are this is like actual poor people trying to look cool and not being able to like put together a normal Hollywood version of that. Um, it's good. Like Pam yeah. mostly runs around in like gray sweats and a black uh, like Adidas like uh, like windbreaker, <laughs> just looking <laughs> extremely frumpy. It's great. <laughs> yeah, sometimes when the b- low budget shines through, it makes the movie better. Yeah. Uh, this is on Criterion Channel. It's there until the end of the month. We were just browsing what was leaving because the month rolled over. And we are like, oh, let's watch this. Yeah. So, good time. Did you watch anything else, Destiny? No, I did not. I watched a lot of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, I wanted to watch more. But then I started watching The Sopranos. And I'm like eight episodes into that. Which, that's like four movies. So... I'm trying not to watch it with you, but I want to watch it with you really badly. <laughs> I would you you were too busy to watch it with me. You wouldn't exactly. be allowed. <laughs> yeah, you can drop no, in whenever I'm watching it, but I'm not I waiting am. for you. We I, already I have know. shows that I'm waiting for you to have free time to watch. I know it's awful. <laughs> uh, all right, I guess we'll get into our movie club movie this time. Um, our movie this week is Diwali Duhania Lejenge. Um, the 1995 uh, Hindi musical romance film uh, directed by Aditya Chopra, um, which is his first movie. I was like, Jesus Christ, are you kidding what? me? <laughs> yeah, he's like really? younger than me when he makes it. I'm working this out. I learned something like, Jesus, man. <laughs> he is, to be fair, he is the son of the producer. Like, very famous yes, yeah, guy yeah. who's been, like, <laughs> raised in movies. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, this okay. is like a generational <laughs> handoff type thing. Yes. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, um, I'm l- a little less impressed. But I'm still impressed. It's Don't still, get me it's wrong. It's still really impressive. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yes. Jackson, what's this movie about? Oh, this came. I said 95. Never mind. Jackson, what's this movie about? Uh, okay, this movie is about uh, two uh, people uh, named Raj and Simran who are both uh, Indians living in the UK. Mm-hmm. Raj is 
Uh, specifically, non-resident Indian is, is a term because that's an important term for like uh, business demographics of how this movie is produced and like changes Bollywood. I was looking up into this. I knew nothing about any of this look going in. By the way, this is very green territory for me. But anyway, by these two characters, um, Raj is the son of a millionaire and lives in the world's ludicrous mansion in Hampstead, apparently, and drives like a '90s Lamborghini. Uh, Simran is the um, uh eldest daughter of uh what's his name uh uh Buldev singh um uh, by the way just apologies for me being very british i understand i know i know uh i've like, pronounced <laughs> all these things uh and she is to be married to uh his friend back in india uh, it was a promise 20 years ago uh his his son specifically uh and the families will be united as an arranged marriage she does not necessarily want to do this but will go along with it because she wants to make her family happy uh and asks for a trip to europe uh for one month before she goes and does this uh and the dad relents allows her to go on this trip uh raj also ends up on this trip uh but being like the playboy son of a millionaire the playboy thing is like implied he's not they don't actually like cast other women for him to like hang around in but he is just kind of a weird guy goofing around uh (laughs) for the entire first half of the movie also ends up on that trip um spends like 45 minutes sexually harassing her uh and then they fall in love uh and that's the first half of the movie is this european trip and they fall in love together and um uh separate at the end and she doesn't invite him uh, he refuses to take the invite to her wedding because he's like i obviously not going to do that because i've fallen in love with you um but they don't really communicate this to each other and so sadly part uh but uh roger's dad realizes what's happened and says you know you must go and win her uh i didn't raise my son to give up go go win this woman's uh, woman's love uh and so he he goes to their uh tiny house that is massive on the inside <laughs> um, and finds they have already left uh for this arranged marriage which breaks us to the second half of the movie after the intermission as it moves to india and uh then we have an hour of technically very predictable and formulaic um sorry as he must infiltrate this wedding and win over the dad so he is granted the hand in marriage instead of the other guy but the specific details of it are all wild as he is in a rivalry with um uh who what's the name of the other the other let me check this out where is it the guy she is to be married to this is not in the list i'm blanking out on his name as well um, uh, ba, 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 ba. not in the castle. Cool Jeet. Cool Jeet, yes. Uh, and um, <laughs> he is a ludicrous man who walks around with a gun in his hand at all times because he's a masculine man who loves hunting. He's um, like an Old Spice <laughs> commercial man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, unlike um, Raj's version of like weird cool guy Chad is uh, too busy flirting with actual women, not just implied women off-screen uh, that aren't the main lady uh and killing doves that uh, raj heals because he is connected to nature um, <laughs> and uh raj is, raj like 
his infiltration part of this to like get into this wedding is to concoct what I can only describe as like a cartoonish Ferris Bueller scheme to pretend that this guy is going to get murdered so he can save him from him as he like puts him in a trap and then pretends to be an animal uh, and then like shoots the trap and saves him and uh, <laughs> this does not get uncovered at the end as like oh he comes clean of all the things he's doing for love no he just does this and he, <laughs> it's totally successful um Eventually, he wins over the father uh, to understand that he's like a good guy, uh, because they also had like a meeting in the um, in the start of the movie where he was shitty at uh, his gas station, uh, but uh, then realizes that this entire thing of him winning him over to be a good guy was just pretense to uh, get his uh, get his daughter, and he's furious. Uh, so. Um, Raj leaves and gives up on this fight, admits that he can do nothing. He would never elope and steal, uh, you know, steal Simran away. They would not run away. They must be handed the marriage for it to be legitimate. So walks back to the train station uh, where you would expect him to, at the last moment, bring Simran and agree to this demand and they ride off together and that technically is how it's ended but in between those two points three minutes from the end he and Kuljeet get into a fucking bloody fist fight and he's got blood all down his face they're beating him up he's beating the other guy up he's beating his dad up it's all kicking off anyway and then the heartwarming ending happens but for some reason in between those two things they do all beat each other up and have blood running down their face <laughs> Uh, absolutely crazy movie had a great time (laughs) oh they get on that train like in the graduate (laughs) she runs past an open door on the train to go to the other door that he's on while the train's running (laughs) uh yep uh destiny you'd seen this before right yes i'd seen it a couple of times actually (laughs) so uh why why did you pick this one since you've seen it a couple times? Why did you want to do this? Uh, because I have this large gap in these types of movies and I want to reacquaint myself with the genre and I felt like coming to it like a familiar place would be a good fun place to start. Um it's always kind of been really interesting to me that this movie um is still being shown at theaters in Mumbai like there's a theater that just shows it all the time and has been for the last 25 years um yeah it only stopped showing it for the COVID wow yeah and and I just I don't know something about that fascinates me so that's why I'm like I need to return to this I need to figure this out um and it, it is it's a movie with like a lot of charm uh, yeah, that, so the first half I was like, the thing about this movie is Raj is just kind of genuinely unlikable. <laughs> like, the actor is great, he has a lot of charisma, mm-hmm. but like, the the way the plot is set up, he is just a layabout rich man's son, who his dad is fine if he's a fuck up, um, and he's just gonna like, nag this woman until she likes him, and it's not cute. And like he's introduced as like the best guy in the world. He's like fucking run. He's like chasing after airplanes and being like ridiculous. Um, just but it comes, a- I want to stress in the first montage before like the movie before you slowly realize that the movie thinks he's cool. It comes off as parody at the start. It comes off as like a this is a goofy guy. Yeah. 
Um, no, they just think it's cool. But he just, he like, there's a bit where he like apologized for treating her bad um, after a ludicrous uh, like night out in Paris, which we'll talk about. But like, he gives her a flower. And she's like, oh, thank you. I accept your apology. And the flower is like a, a, a gimmicked like gag flower that sprays water in her face. Like he's a child and his friends giggle and run away. Like they're literal children. And this <laughs> like is your, the- this is your dashing heroic lead. <laughs> uh and like this doesn't come up again even though there are pivotal scenes that the movie revolves around in which he must earnestly apologize yes mm-hmm. um and so i was like oh the second half is going to be about him like you know being a better person and and making it up to her or whatever and we'll understand and i'll go, go through some growth and like no <laughs> actually he shows up in india and he just like endears himself to everyone and is a ni- very nice boy who definitely is like marriage material like the other version of him vanishes off the face of the earth <laughs> except when he's you except know except for when he's dealing with uh yeah except for when he puts cool Jeet in a tiger trap and uh pretends he's gonna get murdered doing a perfect uh, impression of like a tiger's roar yeah um but the thing <laughs> like for me it was it was specifically there's a bit where um simran gets like alcohol like they're they're like hanging out they get the they get the full on like rom com. We're being put up in a place, but they only have one bed. And she protests and goes out to the barn or whatever. She's like, "I'm not gonna share a bed with you, and you're not even gonna sleep in the same room as me. I'm leaving." And he's like, "All right, don't let the door hit you on the way out. I get the bed." Um, literally just face plants in the bed. And is like, "Sounds good to me," uh, which is great. Um, but she like goes and pouts because her his whole thing is that he's emotionally mature, but is like kind of seen the world only comparative to her. And her whole thing is that she's been extremely sheltered, but she has like an emotional earnestness and intensity that he doesn't really have yet. Um, and uh, and anyway, she they have a they have a bottle. She takes a drink, and it turns out she's never had alcohol before. And she ends up drinking the whole thing and just gets like comedy strength and like is like cartoon drunken on a bender through town as he's trying to stop her. There's a bit where she she like goes to like smash a window to get a dress. She does actually, right? Because she's in the dress and yeah, um, smashes the window, and then she's like yeah. in the dress on top of the Alps dancing. On top of the Alps, it's a yes. crazy. There, yeah. But there's a bit specifically where he chases her into a pool, and she's already in the pool, and he's like, "Come on, you gotta get out of the pool." And she grabs him by the ankles and literally pulls him out of his shoes and like up 15 feet in the air, where he does three backflips and lands in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that you whole know sequence is amazing. Great. This is great. I'm I'm on board for their very weird cartoon romance. Um, <laughs> But then, like, you know, the whole thing is, like, he goes, she's like, run away with me. We can just elope and fuck this. I hate this. It sucks. I love you. I don't want to marry this guy. My family never agree. And apparently, like, reading the Wikipedia, it's like, this is what most movies were about young love who ends up running away from their family. And specifically, he wanted to make a movie that's like, no, the, the, the power is in the family unit. And actually, like, I understand this is, like, a conservative thing that is, like, enshrining the idea of traditional family values. But also, like she's probably going to want to see her dad again, right? Like, I think this is the right thing to do. I think there's, like, something very earnest about him going, no, like, I want to steal you away from this wedding. But I'm going to do that by getting everyone to agree that it's the right idea, not just, like, taking you where everyone's going to think that I came and, like, stole their little girl. Um, 
And but then he basically ends up being like all the mom's favorite boy, and this this uh, Kuljit's sister just immediately falls head over heels for him because he's the nicest boy, and he just ends up being like like I'm like you just get a be job as a wedding planner after this. You're just like taking care of literally everything. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of an amazing wedding planner. <laughs> <laughs> he's, just, he's just doing seventeen jobs very thanklessly, and everyone loves him because he's good at it and charming. And I'm like, this is like great. This is the the, the part where this is just to hang out in this wedding, like this miserable wedding that no one really wants to do um, for an hour is like my favorite part of the movie. I really like all that stuff because it is just kind of like this is happening. Like we got to figure out how to stop it. But neither of us know really how. And there's a bit where like, like Simran's basically moping and waiting for him to do something like he said he's going to do. But she starts to just like like the idea that her boyfriend is sec- secretly like snooping around her wedding to her betrothed who is gone he basically isn't in this part of the movie um and he's like wait you're like you enjoy this and she's like no, no i want to leave and he's like well okay but i we can't do that um but you should probably try a little more because this whole thing where she's like she has to fast and she's like i want you to be the one to give me my meal when i break fast and he's like they're gonna be suspicious when the random guy who just showed up is the one person who like you're really <laughs> bent on giving you your first food and water after your fast and she's like no 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 we can work it out and then contrives a terrible excuse to have him be the one to give her the food um yeah it's very silly the way she just, just starts to be like i've never been pampered like this before i kind of like it <laughs> <laughs> um it's good like that little wrinkle i think like really like buoys the second half it's not like a big deal but it is interesting because it is this movie's like really like, you know, they're going to get together. You kind of know the situation. We've seen plenty of this type of guy. Like originally they wanted Tom Cruise. And I'm like, I see that vision. It's really bleak because Tom Cruise is this man in real life. He's just a sociopath. We've talked about this on Blockbusters. Go to Patreon.com. So mapping for $5 a month. Um, Tom Cruise versions. I would love to see it. I would love to see it. Like obviously I have to rewrite yeah. his side. So he's an American and not, uh, yeah. uh, you know. Well, yeah, um, it's weird because like literally the part where she starts to like him is after that bender. She wakes up, can't remember. She's like, oh, we, we, we like fucked. And that, that's bad for me because I like don't really believe in doing that. I'm, you know, I'm kind of traditional, uh, but I'm mm-hmm. betrothed and I, I, you know, I didn't want to do it this way. It makes me feel bad. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm also like, I'm also an Indian man. I understand that it's important to you. I would never have done that. Um, yeah. It's like a whole thing. Like I'm goofy, but I understand like the lines, like the cultural yeah. lines. That I'm the not world where Tom Cruise is guy. He don't understand the lines. He does not understand nope. the lines. That's a very significantly different movie. Yeah. Uh, yes. But so about the, like the casting, the weird, the thing that's weird to me is like the character as written is just uh, quite frankly the worst man who's ever lived. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, I just, I, but like the performance is really funny and goofy and good, and the the discrepancy between those things is really interesting. I think there's there's a moment where like the movie breaks, not permanently, but it is the 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 part where you can most um, see these this like contradiction, uh, and it's where he's in that um. In that ludicrous French party that they have in France, you know, yeah. where they it's a variety show in a hotel room you could just go and do things <laughs> in. I couldn't, I couldn't tell oh, the if the Eiffel Tower outside the window is meant to be a matte painting or is just a matte painting. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I it was meant to be a matte painting because it's a Same. fucking matte painting. But then I think yeah. of their garden and I'm yeah. like, I actually don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, oh my god that scene where she's like dancing in the rain and her lawn is like ne- practically neon green yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but so so, so the, and uh, their dynamic up to this point is he's been like flirting with her uh and harassing her but it's not been working she's she's grumpy about it 
uh, and he's making an idiot of himself. So far, the dynamic is uh, pretty standard. You got he's like crossing lines, but she's always like there. Like the joke is him kind of looking like an idiot, uh, and he's very good at that. It's very charming playing this kind of like buffoon role, uh, and he's been like suddenly his lines are working on this other girl and she's so pissed off that her friend would fall for this like clearly transparently fake bullshit that she calls one and is like oh you said you were like a incredible pianist whose uh, heart flows through his fingers well go on play the piano at the show and then he like can't and jumps around on top of it and it's very funny and it's like her victory uh in this like back and forth romance uh that makes a lot of sense uh and then suddenly, out of fucking nowhere, he just starts playing the piano incredibly. And the movie takes an entire dance sequence to revel in how owned she is. And this guy's actually super sick. And I'm like, what? Hang on, what's happening? This like yeah. breaks everything charming about his character, which is that he thinks he's a like cool guy fuck up. Uh, well, no, he thinks he's a cool guy, like rich playboy, but he's actually a fuck up who can't even like pass school and is charming enough that they're related. Like, I thought I knew where it was going, and then when the piano, he played the piano perfectly, I was like, "Now nah, I have no idea. I've done. They can do fucking anything. I have no idea like, what, what, what's happening anymore." <laughs> up is down. Down is up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah it, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh, they have to do the work to un like unfuck this character, and they they don't, and it's fine. It, the thing is, the movie still works because it's not yes. about it's about the emotional truths and not like tidily like making sure the script like all of your first act payoffs are tied up by the third act, um, which mm -hmm. is nice. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yes. the benefit of a movie with three hours because by the end of the movie, they're showing flashbacks to the, the first part of the movie, and I'm like, oh right, I remember that stuff, and it's like nice. <laughs> <laughs> It it helps that it looks really good. Yeah, it looks oh, great. Oh yeah, uh, and it's like very visually distinctive in every location as they walk through empty Europe. <laughs> empty Europe, really. <laughs> like we got the locations, but like we made sure everyone was gone, and so there's just no extras. Just they're in like twenty days later versions of Europe. <laughs> there's those three guys at the cafe watching yes. them do that thing. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's really funny because like when you get into like the the big like uh, marriage estate stuff, like that's just a house teeming with people. There's just always like six people in a room, right? Yes. Um, which I, I mean, I guess is like probably the point of like this is what Indian life is versus this is how these Europeans live. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you want um, you to feel it is contrast. very funny, and you know, I like you go to these sets, like these big spaces. And there's just no, there's nobody there except for like London. London's like mostly just shot like big London locations, and uh, there's people. Yeah, I mean, in all the London places, I'm like, I've been to all of these train stations they're filming. Like, like not not just all I've been in. I have been physically in every single, almost every single shot in London, I've been to that place. Mm. <laughs> um, like, oh, yeah, she's on the Northern Line. Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, because the the movie is so much more centered on, like, the emotional states of all the characters, even guys like uh, Valdev, who should be, in every other movie, he's, like, the in, like the intolerant guy who just can't understand what young love is about. And he has all those qualities here. But the movie gives space to understand, like, you know, he's a traditional guy who moved to London to give his kids a chance. And he's doing his best. Like, he works at a convenience store, has them in the largest house that's ever existed, but only on the inside. The outside's normal. <laughs> <laughs> um and just wants her daughter to you know do the the proper thing and get married the way he, he wanted and won't brook this fool uh showing up but then when he does and even though he knows that it's the guy that he met at the convenience store who was really genuinely shitty to him um they have this like relationship about like we're both we're both people who moved somewhere else 
and this is our home, but we don't live here and we're not, we're not staying here, but it is like a thing we always come back to and talk about. Like the bit where they're feeding the dove, like he's trying to warm up to him by going there every morning as he's feeding the doves and hanging out with them. And they eventually just have a conversation about like the doves in London versus the doves uh, in India and whether they're like the same type of dove and what it means to be in a different place. And it's just really good. It's like, oh, this guy is scene stealing every scene he's in. He's incredible. I love him. And also this character just gets to be like human, even though he's he is like the major obstruction and is intolerant and is like only yields literally the very last second and only a little bit like, oh, he might regret this tomorrow. But he said yes today and that's all we need. Um, and um, <laughs> it's still just like it's still charming and like charismatic and you understand why she wants to like live up to his expectations. They aren't, you know, she's not King Triton. He's not King Triton and little mermaid. Right. Like you get it. <laughs> yeah. Even the scenes where he's like dramatic zoom in the light of the fire in the house has like been changed. Like when they in the, when he's in the house and she's crying, she's like, let her cry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is yeah. first of all, cartoonish and hilarious. But second of all, the way it's framed is like, He's not unsympathetic to the fact that she's crying, right? Yes. Uh, it's not let her cry because I am powerful over her. It's like this is just what it is to like understand your place in this culture. Uh, and he is feeling like similarly conflicted, but wants to like do his best. Mm -hmm. um, the entire movie revolves around the fact that they have to get that character right, right? Because yeah. obviously, you know, I I am going off of what I've read. Uh, I have very little experience with any of them in the context of. Uh, Indian cinema. I haven't watched any other movies, uh, so I was looking stuff up, and I was seeing the note that like, oh, okay, this does make a lot of sense. That it was like you say specifically like about it is resolving all contradictions. They have managed to unite the rebelling against your family and respecting your family um, plots into a single plot, and it they, they specifically did it. specifically about di diaspora characters, right? Like characters. these people yes. went somewhere else and lived somewhere else, and that's important yeah, that's, too. That's the other part of it. It's like mm -hmm. it is the economic shift for when these kind of movies understand how to target like out like audiences outside of India uh, mm -hmm. in the diaspora, um, and that's the, just the thing I was reading and found very interesting. Like, oh, this like fundamentally changes the economics of how these movies are uh, advertised and produced. Um, but I think it's real like. I've seen, you know, in uh, just Hollywood movies, similar kind of thing for different ideas of... There are two conflicting ideas of conflicting audiences with different political agendas, right? And we're going to try to somehow please both of them. Um, I've very rarely seen it pulled off as well as here. They, they managed it. I see how this was the biggest movie in the world, right? Because it does satisfy both those needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I have it that much else. Really like this movie. It was it was a yeah. very easy three hours. Great, uh, like had an intermission. Please, it doesn't even need to be long. It was just like oh, they they actually went back to India for the wedding, and it pauses intermission in the most hilarious like font crafter website font you could <laughs> ever find at like the lowest <laughs> shittiest resolution possible. Beautiful, it's amazing in this expensive ass movie. Yeah. That is otherwise like, like a really colorful Blu-ray that looks great because it's a movie from 96. So everything's filmed right, you know? It's so luxurious. It is yeah. a deeply luxurious looking movie. Yes, for sure. Uh, and and then, then all the title cards and this in, this middle thing is just cheap as shit in the world. It's very funny and charming. I love it a lot. Yeah, me too. Um, 
but yeah, you just we just stopped at the intermission and then watched the rest of the next day. It was great. Good good break. More movies should do that. Easy three hours. Watch many shorter movies that felt longer. So. Same. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, Looking forward no- to watching more. Yeah, if there's nothing else, we can uh, go to the questions. Go to questions. All right. If you like to send questions, you can send them to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we, we love questions about random movie shit. They do not have to be about our movie club movie. I would love it if you just ask us, uh, you know, random, like, tops, top anythings, whatever. Um, Hilver writes in the first email, how do you feel about actors doing their own stunts? I think it's cool. <laughs> it's, I just think it's really cool. I, I think it can be cool, but I, 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 you go. No, I just, I, I like when it's like Jackie Chan doing it, right? Like that he's selling himself as a whole package. That is like part of the event of going to see a Jackie Chan movie. I think like Tom Cruise in his sixties leaping off airplanes. I'm like less impressed by, um, even though I know he thinks it's the same thing. I'm just like, you did, You don't have to do that. You're assuming risk that like trained professionals could be doing because you're like, it's cooler when I do it. And I, is it actually, there's a charm to stunt work, right? Like when you see, a, when oh, you see yes. an obvious stunt man doing yes. stunt shit, it's fun. You're like, oh, that's a bad wig on that stunt man. He's a foot taller. <laughs> yep. I, that's my favorite thing in the whole wide world. Yeah. When I watch a movie with them, I always point out the stunt, the yeah. visible stunt person. Also, like, it, it makes a stunt more expensive to pull off because they have to spend seven months training Tom fucking Cruise to do it. Yeah. And not the people whose whole lives are to do it. But it's like the the kind of stunts that Tom Cruise is doing in the, the current his current like huge movies, they're not really interesting stunts. Like when he jumps out of a plane, I'm like, that's a very expensive thing to do. It's so expensive. It's not Jackie Chan hanging on the back of the bus uh, in um, Police Story in a like sequence of four-minute uninterrupted uh, Buster Keaton gags. Like, fundamentally two different universes there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, generally I'd say I'm for it, but I think, the, I think a lot of its modern context is, like, weird. Uh, but, you know, it's always been like that. I don't know. It's like Maybe, you, yeah. You, people went to see Buster Keaton movies because he was doing the big stunt himself. And on some level, that's still what Tom Cruise is selling. Mission like No one's going to see Mission Impossible because of the plot, right? Right. Uh, no, I used to be, and now I don't like those movies. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, it is nice to be reminded that movies at the end of the day are still like, there's a, there's like a carnival, as like Barker aspect. you got to get people yeah, in the spectacle. door. <laughs> yeah, spectacle. Yeah. And... Uh, CG is just not it, like it not anymore for most people, unless you attach a Disney logo on it. Um, Even then, like yeah. the C- CG looks in in massive budget movies, CG looked worse than it does a decade ago. Yeah, Almost no, I, I mean that's board. just true. Yes, like uh, I was watching them. Like, it was just a clip of Pirates of the Caribbean two, which is not like a incredible movie that people adore, right? But you no. see the um, Bill Nye guy, whatever, Dave yeah. Jones. Yeah, the David Jones uh, CG effect is like le- genuinely incredible. CG just doesn't look like that because it's too expensive. There's not enough studios. It's just a machine to finish movies without union work. Now it is yes. no longer the like selling card uh, of uh, scale and impressive effects. Um. Anyway, Modern writes in: uh, If you could take any scene from a movie and turn it into a Hitman level, what would it be? Modern picks Lex Luthor's charity party from Batman v Superman. 
um, because of the potential for stories with 47 and like learning everyone's identities. And since uh, Hitman 2 is published by WB, there's a reality where this might have totally happened as a tie in. Oh, that would have been so fucking good. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I don't have necessarily one. I think I would mind. like the. Um, you could pick either of these, I guess. I'd either pick the opening scene of True Lies or the, the opening scene of Mission Impossible 1. Like, you're there while another group of people are also doing spy shit, and you just got to kind of avoid that or, like, interact with it. Uh, do you mean the opening scene where they're in the film, or do you mean the big the thing in the, uh, where the guy's in the elevator? and Yeah, like the, the whole elevator thing. Yeah, it's just that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Do you have to, the, like, the make it so mission. the heist doesn't go wrong when, when Jim Phelps sets them up? Probably you have to do it both ways, right? Yeah okay. Uh, yeah, that one's a, that's a good shout because um, yeah, absolutely that one. Um, uh, the um, the the corporate presentation from the end of Michael Clayton. Oh, that'd be good. <laughs> uh, the Kobayashi Maru in Star Trek Two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do think just the Enterprise D is inarguably the best one of these. Hitman level on the Enterprise D is dream video game to me. Oh, yeah. Mm. You gotta get to Data. He's on the bridge, in the front of the bridge, so everyone knows you're on the bridge. It's like, how do you get to Data? It's gonna be hard. Oh, like, that's a good one. A million brand reasons why that would never happen. They'd never let that kind of murder happen to TNG characters. But you're like, <laughs> not only is it a space people recognize, it's a space that people have familiarity with, like, routine. Like, you know Data goes from the bridge to 10 forward to his court. Like, these are all places that have... It's literally the Hitman design doc's already written. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, the Casper uh, Hauser town. <laughs> God. <laughs> Do you have anything, Destiny? Um, maybe something a little more low stakes, like you're Max Fisher and you have to bring the bees to Bill Murray, but you can't get caught. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Tron writes in, uh, what's your favorite song in this movie? We didn't actually talk about the musical part at all. I did really like them. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I think the song where, um, they're both drunk is probably one of my favorite one. She's drunk. I think my favorite is the uh, the big wedding dance on the rooftops. That's oh, the, mine. Yeah. That evokes West Side Story for me. <laughs> I love that. I love that they have the whole song, and then there's the coda with uh, yes, with the parents doing this also. Yeah, it's incredible. It's so like the love between the parents is so good. <laughs> I really like the actress that plays the mom. Yeah. Um, if you're all given the choice of living in a universe where it's socially acceptable and normal to communicate using the musical form, would you choose to live there? I I try to live my life like a musical at all times anyway, so. Um, yes. 100% yes. I mean, Love like. singing and dancing. <laughs> in the same way that musicals are like hyper real perfections of reality do i get better at singing in this universe because yes, like if i have yes. to, okay then yes <laughs> what if what if it just doesn't matter like like uh mama mia like you won't get better at singing but no one will know never I'm mention the, that you're bad at singing i'm the pierce brosnan yes uh, <laughs> of the musical universe and yeah absolutely that's guy all right uh which band discography would you all want to see made into a jukebox musical this is from uh adam Band's discography for a jukebox musical. That's hard. I want Janelle Monet to make like a full length uh Cindy Mayweather thing. Mm-hmm. 
That would be cool. I think I'd want a Killers jukebox music. I just really like the Killers. It's real sad at the end. <laughs> yeah. <well. laughs> I don't know how to say I have a great one because I'm like going through bands I know and they all sound too much the same. Yeah, like, I think I think I think um I think specifically Killers has just enough sonic like breadth to get away with a mu- like a jukebox musical. Yeah, because they're going through the different like stadium rock styles. Yeah. Um, like there's none of my like fucking scar or punk bands that I want this from. This is not mm. a context where those musics work. You want a coheed jukebox musical? Absolutely not. And the no I was, I was like, that. I was like, well, there's Daft Punk, but I'm like, they have an anime. Like I could see a coheed yeah. anime in the style of Interstellar Five Five Five. Man, I'd watch that. I'd yeah. make that. I'd watch that. Uh, God, that would be funny. Um, anyway, uh, that's it for emails. Please send them in to abnormalmappingpodcast.gmail.com. Well, I think those were all pretty good answers. It had nothing, almost none of them had anything to do with the movie, so that's what I'm asking for. for people. You did, to be fair, you did ask, hey, can we have random movie questions? So. I know. We were desperate. It was low email week. Uh, it's because everyone's sending seed emails, which is a disaster of its own. We have to sort <laughs> later on. Um, we actually have to spend time on a call going through yeah, them. By the time this episode's together. over, that episode will be recorded. So we like it's out. We we will solved it. But right now, I look at that email inbox. I'm like, oh, I don't know what the fuck we're gonna do about this. We have to do actual. An we actual have 35 emails. <laughs> That's too many. We got to consolidate them. We got to we got organize them. Half. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, next time we are going to be watching the African Queen, the John Huston film from 1951. Nice. Never seen it. I guess he's never seen it. I assume you've never seen it. I've never seen it. Yeah. So it's always a pretty good idea to assume I've not seen a movie. Well, I, you know, you could watch it in school or something. It's true. You did watch some movies in less than you would think a film course would make you watch. <laughs> yeah, they would just show us fucking clips from movies. And I'm like, can I watch a movie in this film school? No, okay, wow, that's thousands <laughs> and thousands of pounds of debt well spent. <laughs> so yeah, um, hope that's good. I like Catherine Hepburn a lot, so probably have a good time. I watched my beautiful laundrette in school. There's a fucking movie. Oh, I love I've that movie. I've never seen that. It's pretty good. It's pretty it was on good. Criterion like three months ago. Sure. There's a lot of movies on Criterion I don't watch. Mm-mm-mm. It's a good one. Um, anyway, plugs, Destiny. At Fridge Buzz Now in most places on the internet, my other podcast, Battling Girls, can be found on abnormalmapping.com slash Battling Girls. Jackson. <clears throat> you can find me at HeadfallsOff on Twitter.com and you can find the podcast that I do with M at abnormalmapping.com. You can find me on Twitter at EM underscore Bing. You can support our podcast, patreon.com slash normal mapping. Uh, for $1, you get great in a project. We're almost done with Seed. Just It'll be done this week. Then we'll be moving on. We'll be watching Digimon Tamers and a Yay! SD kind of show. Um, for $5, you get Blockbusters. We're actually recording on this weekend uh, about Seoul. Um, and our next movie, I guess we'll just announce it here. We're going to be watching Good Morning Vietnam, uh, which neither of us true. have seen. So I saw um, it in high school... Oh, yeah, I've I never seen it. I don't think I saw the ending, but um, okay. that is a someone put it on in a history class movie. <laughs> oh, okay. And then uh, for $10, you get a VoIP Life, where every two weeks we hang out and just talk about some bullshit. Um, did we talk? When's the last time we talk about movies there? I don't know. We have a good time, though. If you like us, me and Jackson, being stupid, that's a good show. We we might have a movie thing coming up. I kind of want to do that, that thing that came up yesterday. Oh, that, that goofy idea I had? Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that would be a fun episode. We just got to get Autumn on. 
uh, for it. So, do we need to watch a movie ahead of time? What? I don't think we're talking about the same thing. Okay, we'll we'll get back to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Okay. <laughs> Cliffhanger for a future vote life. Did I know what the fuck Em was talking about? Oh. <laughs> to be discovered after I closed this audacity window. Thank yeah, we'll listening, be, everyone. Yeah, we'll be back in two weeks with the African Queen. Until next time, movies. Now more than ever. Don't expect to like them. <laughs> <laughs>